This is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm not here with my co-host Lee. I'm not here with my co-host Peter. And I'm also not here with our special guest, Nuclear Norm. Hello, Neho. Hey, there's another one, because you said that you would say it in a different language every time, and so far you have. True to his word. And today you're joining us for a major disaster brought to you by Norm. Can't wait to get into it. Before we get into that, if you're new here, welcome. If you're old here, also welcome back. If you want to check things out, now that we're in season two, if you want to get caught up on season one, I'd go back and start at the beginning with the Plague of Athens and work all the way forward, because I imagine there's going to be some callbacks, because we frequently make callbacks. We do. Norm's shaking his head no, but I I feel like there might be at least one. I'll make a tie-in. I promise you at least (laughs) one tie-in this time. Uh, I wouldn't bet against that. And if you get through all those and you like what you heard, the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell someone to listen to the podcast. Tell anyone to listen to this podcast. Tell your friends, tell your enemies make new friends or enemies and then tell them. The next best thing you can do to help us out is to subscribe and leave a rating or review wherever you listen. You can follow us on social media at This Disaster Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and on our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com as well as our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod where there's tons of bonus content, micro disasters every two weeks, possibly even some more video-based stuff by now. Who knows? We're recording this in advance, so who knows what's happening when this comes out. (laughs) Maybe the world has ended Nothing and this is all for posterity. <laughs> Another year of quarantine, guaranteed. <laughs> well, no. yes. Hmm. I just read a headline that said uh, Ottawa, where we're from, will be able to vaccinate 680,000 people by July. Uh-huh. Oh, 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 July, so soon. Half the population <laughs> by July. Wow. Good. So let's look forward to yeah. that. <laughs> All right, so I think that's pretty much it, and I'm just going to hand it over to Nuclear Norm, and I have no idea what we're talking about today. <laughs> Me either. Nuke us, Norm. Speaking of populations, mm. yes. did you know the population mm. of the world is 7.6 billion? Actually, I think I knew that. Pro- probably. Mm-hmm. I, I think everybody knows that. Like, that's All like a, that... a pretty big number, but it's mm-hmm. a little more interesting when you put that number into some context. So, okay. I'm a millennial. And in 1983, mm-hmm. the year I was born, mm, right. the population of the world was actually 4.7 billion only. So, 3 billion people have been born since I've been born. And no one's died. <laughs> <laughs> 3 billion net people have, have, have uh, existed. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> nothing 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 the numbers don't lie i remember going to like the epcot center at disney world with my parents and they had that one of, one of those like big counting clock things it almost looked like an analog clock uh-huh. but it was the population of the earth like, uh-huh. up. and yeah i remember i actually remember being like whoa four billion is such a big number because yeah. i was like six at the time or something yeah, yeah. and then i recently learned that we're like almost yeah it's eight. exponentially <laughs> growing so yeah like within mm-hmm my dad's lifetime it's more than the population is more than doubled of living human beings that is that's that's, that's, yeah that's that's quite insane completely random tangent though since Mm, homo sapiens first developed languages about fifty thousand years ago yeah there have been 109 billion humans born jeez estimate but yeah that's that's a lot of people more people are dead than are alive and it's yeah. that many more. <laughs> 50,000 years is a pretty long time, even though the population wasn't big. They were, they were dying real fast. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of opportunity to die back then. Saber-toothed tigers, dinosaurs, right? Quicksand. Right, quicksand. Probably just uh, 
friendly yeah. arm wrestling deaths. Stakes were higher back then. <laughs> we're way behind already. Um, so the land area of Earth is 149 million square kilometers. And this leads to a average population density of Earth of 51 people per square kilometer. Okay. Uh, though, obviously, people don't just live evenly <laughs> spread out across the world. Right. Uh, no. Yes, they, they yeah. don't really do that. So you kind of tend to gather in cities. I've noticed yes. that. So the cities with the largest population, Tokyo, mm-hmm. 37 million. That's right. in Japan. Mm-hmm. Delhi, India, yeah. 29 million. Mm-hmm. Shanghai, China, mm-hmm. 26 million. Pretty big. Mm, pretty big. So, so these are big cities, but they're not necessarily the mm-hmm. most crowded places on Earth. Mm-hmm. When we look at population density, right. we actually find that at number one, Manila in the Philippines is the densest city in the world at 41,000 people per square kilometer. Whoa. Whoa. What? Whoa. Jeez. Manila is huge and small at the same time. So packing them in. How big is an average city block? Uh, We'll get get there. Okay, we'll get there. Okay. Fair enough. He knows. (laughs) In fact, the number two and three densest cities in the world are also in the Philippines. And then the next densest city is actually Baghdad. 33 million, or sorry, 33,000 people per square kilometer. Did I say million before? I definitely should have said 41,000. No, you said thousands. Yeah, okay, that wouldn't have made any sense if I said million. No, if you said million, Uh, we would have reacted a lot more strongly. (laughs) (laughs) And then Mumbai, 32,000 people per square kilometer. So these are tens of thousands of people per square kilometer. For reference. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Ottawa has a density of 317 people per square kilometer and still too dense for my liking <laughs> i see way too many people around. Damn, ottawa is a hundred humans again. times less dense than than even mumbai i couldn't imagine bonkers yeah no. uh with the, within these crowded cities though there are actually neighborhoods that can be even more dense obviously mm-hmm. currently mm-hmm. the densest place on earth is the Dharavi slums in Mumbai, India. Okay. There, they okay. have 1 million people living in a 2.1 square kilometer area. What? That area is about half the size of Central Park in New York City. And they have a million people Whoa. living in that area, in a slum. How many people? Did you say 2 million? 1 million in a 2.1 square kilometer area. 1 million in 2.1 square. Yeah, 1 million and half of Central Park. Something tells me they are spread out <laughs> as high <laughs> as they are wide to accommodate right. all that. I got a feeling they're not social distancing. You, I think no, you're onto something there. So, so One person yeah. gets COVID there and a million people die. <laughs> that density is 227,000 people per square kilometer or 10 times denser than Manhattan, which is the densest place in North America. Wow. Jeez. Peter, does that remind you of another plague situation where people were just packed right in? Doesn't ring any bells, Plague of Athens. There you go. Also doesn't ring any bells in any European city in the 14th century. There you go. See, we told you we'd we call it. <laughs> yeah. We do. Episode one. Episode one. Episode yeah, yeah, yeah. We remember, the, one, you remember the number Athens. on that one. Classic. Episode 1314. Collector's <laughs> items. Uh, Mint condition. Population density. <laughs> That's how you get a plague. Now, the world's population now is the highest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So you probably expect that the Dharavi slums is the densest place there's ever been. I would expect that. Yeah, you would expect that if you didn't know that obviously it's not because we don't just tell you the thing about the podcast right away. 
<laughs> that is that is true. We do we do misdirect. That's one thing that you'll yeah. Learn. There's there's actually a quirky geopolitical oddity that existed in the past mm-hmm. that is a real life cyberpunk dystopia mm. that is even denser than the Daravi slums are today. What? Ooh, stay tuned right after these messages. Do oh, <laughs> I hate when that. <laughs> There is this major metropolitan city that's a worldwide economic hub where people speak with British Mm -hmm. accents, they drink tea, they drive on the left side of the Mm -hmm. road. This city has places like Victoria Harbor, the Stanley Market, Mm -hmm. and the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Mm -hmm. Where do you think this city is? Tynmouth, England. (laughs) Birthplace of... Donald Crowhurst and the Tinmouth Electron. <laughs> yep, that's it. All right, now go play that episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice tie-in. So the city that I'm talking about is actually located 10,000 kilometers away from London, England, oh. in the southeast corner of Asia, and that city is Hong Kong. Huh. Did you say Hong Kong? Yeah, I did. Hong Kong, or officially the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region of the People's Republic of China. HKSAR is the uh, acronym. Hong Kong is catchier. So it's a semi-autonomous region of China, as per the name. Um, It has its own government, its own legal Mm. system, its own currency, Mm. and its own international relations. And it's not really a city or a country, Mm. despite the fact in many ways it's treated as both. You've probably heard a lot about Hong Kong in the news recently due to clashes between the traditional democratic leaders and the conflicting ideals of modern day China. Yeah, we heard a lot about that until everyone in the media got bored of it and we stopped hearing about it. Yeah, yeah, people stopped talking. <laughs> so I'm assuming that all kind of worked itself out, right? <laughs> that's all fine now? So th- that's that's still going on and uh, that's oh, it is. It's okay. a big kerfuffle. And uh, Hong Kong is also where my family is from, just FYI. Oh, neat. Origin story. I'm, I mean, I'm not from there. So, so Hong Kong is located on the southeast coast of China, accessing the Pacific Ocean via the South China Sea. That mm-hmm. is another naming dispute that we won't mm-hmm. get into. A whole Embroiled really. in controversies. <laughs> the name Hong Kong comes from the Cantonese pronunciation mm-hmm. of Hong Kong, which means fragrant harbor. Oh. That's nice. Although I'm going to say immediately the fragrance that comes to mind when you said harbor is probably not a good one. Probably fish. Probably very, very potently fishy. There's a lot of different fragrance that will, fragrances that will come up. Okay. So Hong Kong consists of three main regions. There's Hong Kong Island, which is an island. It's okay. a little bit bigger than Manhattan, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the main island. Then directly across from that island is the Kowloon sure. Peninsula, and that's the second mm. region of Hong Kong. Mm. Oh, okay. And then the Kowloon Peninsula connects to mainland China through right. what is known as the New Territories. So Kowloon is an anglicized pronunciation of the Cantonese phrase Gaolong, which mm. literally means nine dragons. Oh. And New Territories is English for New Territories. Oh, not <laughs> as badass. <laughs> yeah, that's just more information. But, you know. Yeah. Information is power. I think Nine Dragons is catchier. (laughs) So Hong Kong has a population today of 7.5 million, which makes it a pretty big city. And it has a land area of 1,108 kilometers squared Mm -hmm. for a density of 6,800 people per square kilometer. Mm -hmm. That's pretty dense. Yes. But it's not 
close to those other right. places that we were talking about earlier. Right, right. Denser than Ottawa, not nearly as dense as Delhi. So, so why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about um, this, Norm? So, so most of Hong Kong's land is actually extremely hilly and mountainous and actually unsuitable for living. Okay. Only 7% of their land area is actually zoned for residential use, which results hmm. in an actual effective living density of 97,000 people per square kilometer, mm. which is four and a half times the density of Manhattan. Ooh. Ew. Because of this, for the 10th year in a row, Hong Kong is the least affordable city to live in, where housing prices are 20 times that of annual income. Uh, so what that means Whoa. is if you your household makes $50,000 a year, uh-huh. the average house you're looking for is a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's. Uh, this is where you hear about cage homes and like people that are literally renting, you know, a bed that's Closets. a cage that you st- oh sleep in. Yeah, God. Right. Oh man, I think I see where you're going with this because mm. I immediately thought of uh, Neuromancer. Mm. Interesting. I read that last year. <laughs> Those like sleeping, how you like yeah, rent yeah, a sleeping yeah. pod that's and stuff. Completely interesting fun fact though. Cool. Well, Hong Kong actually has the world's longest life expectancy oh. at eighty five point two nine. Wow. Yeah. So mm. go there, you'll live cool. forever. Uh, that's, that's how it works, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> or live live ass to ankles yeah. and you'll live forever. Unless you get hit by the plague, in which case, yeah. good luck. <laughs> Episode one. Yeah. Episode, 15, Episode one, two, three, four. <laughs> the land that would eventually be modern-day Hong Kong, we're going to talk about some history now, actually wasn't of much interest okay. for most of history and was extremely sparsely populated. At some point, oh, though, no. during the Song Dynasty, which is 960 to 1270, C-E, I don't use A-Ds around Mm -hmm. here. Nice. A notable salt trading outpost was established on the Kowloon Peninsula near the harbor. File that Mm -hmm. away in your memory. Okay. Filed. Filing it away. Was that that along the the Silk Road or was that by sea? Either. Silk Road. (laughs) Episode 13, 14. Black Death. Turns out the Silk Road plays a key... Key role in, in the 13th right. century, the Mongols right. invaded China from the north, which resulted in a huge migration mm-hmm. of people who were primarily in the north and center towards the southern coastal regions that included right. places like Hong Kong. So the population started to expand. By the mid 1350s, historical accounts begin to appear of a violent plague spreading across China, thought to be carried along the Silk Road. Hmm. Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think really? of what plague in the doesn't, mid 1300s doesn't ring any bells. Couldn't, couldn't think of any Terra Baggins. <laughs> yeah, that the might damn have Frodo Baggins through fleas. <laughs> Frodo and his ring, and his friends. Black Death, episode yeah. 34. So, <laughs> also, I like I like how I like that imagery and that use of words. Like the Mongols invaded, which caused a migration downwards. It's like, oh, you mean people are getting the fuck out of there trying to get away from the Mongols? Like, calling it a migration makes it sound so, like, natural and peaceful. They eventually made their way down. They moseyed. Uh, Moseyed on over. As quickly as they It's like, where are there not Mongols? Oh, over there. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So this obviously spun the entire region into extreme chaos and disorder. And there was rampant thievery and piracy. But I kind of think in the 1300s, mm-hmm. like that was the world was just disorder. Yeah, that's just <laughs> yeah. What happens after that's breakfast? <laughs> How much order was it? Um, yeah. it? Went extremely ordered under the Romans. <laughs> Everywhere else, complete chaos. <laughs> yeah. Back to order. By the 1360s, the Mongol Empire basically just fizzled away, <laughs> and uh, the Ming Dynasty mm-hmm. rose to power mm-hmm. in 1371 mm-hmm. right. in an effort to exert additional control 
and unite all of China, the emperor imposed a maritime prohibition banning all sea trade that was not done directly through the government. Mm. This obviously led to increases in smuggling and piracy and corruption. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. You can't do this. Oh, then we won't. Yeah, yeah, we won't. They're just gonna, you're gonna pirate. Um, So this, this sea ban lasted hundreds of years, and it actually started a major isolationist wow. period in China and really adversely affected their economic and scientific development. Oh, good. China was arguably Jeez. the world's most advanced civilization in history to this point, and after this period, they, like, drastically <laughs> fell behind because, like, oh, we're not trained with anyone. We don't want any of your shit. And we're we're going right. to go home. <laughs> we're going right. to isolate selfly. It was all to the good. Mm-hmm. These regulations. Uh, right. Basically, by the by the yeah. 16th century, though, these rules just fizzled out because they couldn't enforce a, a sea ban. There was just far too much piracy <laughs> and stuff going right. on. and Too much yeah, sea. Yeah. Look at China as a big coast. And people <laughs> further yeah. migrated towards the coasts. Mm. Enter. Right. Place to be. Yeah. My favorite disaster. Oh. European colonialism. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) the Europeans struck a trade deal with China and utilized their vastly superior naval technology to eliminate the pirates in exchange for favorable trade conditions to China. Okay. We fast forward to the 1800s and trade further improves. And then in the 1800s is kind of where we get to the peak era of European colonialism. Right. So the British had colonized British India, which is modern day India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Myanmar. Hmm. The French had colonized uh, what would be modern-day Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. Right. The Spanish had colonized the Philippines. <laughs> the Dutch had colonized Indonesia. Right. So we have all these European <laughs> mm-hmm. colonialists surrounding China. Yeah. <laughs> and the Europeans uh-huh. actually had a huge demand for Chinese goods, like silk and porcelain. But okay. the British were right. particularly okay. interested, and they were particularly interested in a delicious leaf the old oh. tea leaf, not mm. the uh, hey, the fancy tobacco, but no, no. old tea. <laughs> the British could not get enough of that shit to this day. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. while China was totally yeah. willing to trade with Europeans and the British, the mm. Europeans mm. actually didn't have any goods that China wanted in return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want any. Yeah, like what? What, what do you guys Incredible. got? Uh, what about potatoes? Uh, yeah, okay. not nah, nah, man. Anything else? We got- fish. Oh, we have fish. Yeah, okay. Keep going. So, so China would actually only accept pure silver as exchange for their trading goods and their tea. <laughs> what do you want in return? Well, money. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything? No money. It's got to be money. <laughs> Can I interest you in any of these sickly <laughs> yeah. rats that we had on our ship? How do you feel about top hats? <laughs> this ultimately resulted in a huge trade unevenness between the europeans and china and that china had all the bargaining power so the british devised a plan british india was extremely fertile for growing opium for those unaware opium is a powerful drug that can be smoked or processed into heroin as mm-hmm. you're probably aware, it's extremely addictive and it'll kill you. Yep. It can also be used in many medications that were not at all prescribed <laughs> recklessly for yeah. decades. Yeah. So the British plan was farm up a bunch of opium, smuggle it into China, get all those mm-hmm. Chinese addicted to opium, then trade that opium for silver and buy the tea with wow. that silver. Kind of evil genius. <laughs> yeah, kind of. 
it's it's kind but of but also a, let's see how that turns out such a diabolical situation for such a prim and proper drink <laughs> this is all for tea but we must have our tea you don't understand <laughs> they re- yeah. This is, we really, really need this tea, guys. It's, our, it's become our thing. Government-sponsored <laughs> drug dealing. And so this had Jeez. the desired effect from the British perspective of creating a pandemic of opium addicts and a giant demand for opium in China. <laughs> so it worked. The Chinese didn't like this at all. And they actually directly contacted Queen, Queen yeah. Victoria on the matter. And they never received an official <laughs> response. So the Chinese <laughs> Navy did what they could. And they blockaded the British and destroyed one large shipment of opium. Hmm. And that ended everything. Hey. The British went home and said, well, you got us. That sounds like the colonial yep. British yes, that yes. we know and love. <laughs> 1839 starts the first opium war. <laughs> wow. Oh, God. <laughs> the British feeling completely disrespected for having their illegal opium smuggling operation interrupted. <laughs> Sorry. They fought under the principles of free trade and equal diplomatic recognition. Sure. You're not trading freely. <laughs> You're smuggling, smuggling drugs into the country to addict yeah. an entire country to opium so that you can drink tea. How <laughs> dare you, sir? How dare how dare you disrespect me? I've got an idea. Can't can't we learn how to grow yeah, those no, plants? No, no. Give us the seed <laughs> out of here. So the British Navy occupied Hong Kong Island, and they used it as a staging point for their war, and they completely obliterated the Chinese fleet because Western technology was literally a hundred years ahead of Chinese technology, in part due to the isolationist ban from before. So the emperor was actually forced to sign several unequal treaties, opening up ports for the British, and Mm -hmm. ultimately had to cede Hong Kong Island permanently to the British as sort of concessions for losing the war. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, kind of a massive dick move <laughs> yeah. on the British part. <laughs> look, uh, no your idea. Western biased history is not going to look well <laughs> on the British uh, real soon. Remember that salt trading outpost on Kowloon that I told you to think about? Yep, filed that away. Yes, this was directly across from Hong Kong Island, which was now a British-controlled island, and they converted that salt <laughs> trading outpost into a military fort they being the Chinese, to keep an eye on the British. And they upgraded it with this defensive wall. Okay. So they're like, okay, you're taking over this island, but we're going to build a (laughs) fort right next to it. Yeah. (laughs) Building forts. I love forts. Roanoke. Roanoke, episode 15. Wait, was that 15? (laughs) It felt like it was like last episode. Forts make friends. Yeah, best way to make friends. Build a fort. Never entirely satisfied, in 1856, the United Kingdom and France teamed up to battle China in the Second Opium War. (laughs) The Empire Strikes Back. The outcome can be predictable in that Mm -hmm. it resulted in a complete legalization of opium in China and complete exemption from all duties, tripling the number of imports into China. And the Empire, again, had to concede even more things to or uh, the emperor had to concede even more things <laughs> yeah. to the britons one of them being they had to give kowloon peninsula to the british giving them full control <laughs> over both sides of the harbor where they can now flood in as much opium as they wanted if you're playing the civ- civilization games <laughs> like civ 5 or civ 6 specifically when you make those kinds of bargains like <laughs> 
you yeah. feel like a jerk. <laughs> You're playing yeah, the it's, bad game. You decide, you stop your war, rebuild your army, and then you continue your war to get more things that you want. <laughs> exactly. And you're basically like, uh, give me uh, all your gold uh, forever. To be fair, if it was available, I would always go for the addictination to opium victories. <laughs> Building the drug smuggler Jesus. character to go in there. <laughs> He's got sunglasses <laughs> and a trench coat. and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Quite important to note that the mm. British opposition in Parliament actually opposed these wars, <laughs> and they called oh, the okay. exploitation of the Chinese an unforgivable atrocity. That's Opium was mm. obviously banned in Britain yeah. because people would right. get so addicted to it, they would do anything to get it and right. die. That sounds like a thoughts and prayers <laughs> kind of situation. Yeah. This is yeah. terrible. <laughs> I yeah. condemn this. Are you going to stop? Mm, no. <laughs> no. Well, it is the opposition to Lord Palmerston that. Oh, uh, yeah. So fair like, you know. Okay. So the opposition. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so for a little bit of perspective here, the period after the Second Opium War in China is referred to as the century of humiliation, <laughs> having lost mm-hmm. two wars and then basically conceding all these things to the British and kowtowing to the Europe and being Europeans and saying, oh, right. you're, you get everything you right. want. And it's, it was a huge embarrassment in, in their history. Yeah. And obviously at the time it was celebrated in Britain, but obviously now in British history, it's not really looked of, nicely yeah, a blight. Yeah. It seems like the British equivalent of smallpox yeah. blankets, except, you know what? I don't want to compare. No. Disasters, no. Opium blankets. But- <laughs> they blanketed a nation in opium. And so these events entirely ultimately contributed to the collapse of the Chinese empire by the early 1900s, uh-huh. and, mm-hmm. which kind of ended imperial rule, which lasted since, you know, BC times. Mm-hmm. With the region in, in complete turmoil because the you know, empire was collapsing, the British realized mm-hmm. that they had this now isolated colony mm-hmm. That was quite vulnerable mm. to attack. And so they activated a clause within uh, their previously established rules that granted a, a, yep. an extension on their territory. And this is when they bought the new territories, which is a 12 times larger landmass that extends to China to create a big buffer zone between Kowloon and China. And the British oh, okay. essentially were able to negotiate any terms they wanted on this lease. <laughs> So they decided right. to lease the land for 99 years, starting in 1898. Right. Okay. The intention for the lease was that it would be indefinite, but they would just nominally use 99 years because it's like, yeah, that's, that's as good as forever. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Let someone else worry if it's 100 it. years. <laughs> yeah. Well, 99 years after 1879 was 1997. Mm-hmm. Yep. A yeah, very right. critical time in <laughs> Hong Kong history, uh-huh. which we'll talk briefly about yeah. later. Okay. So remember that little walled fort that they had established. Mm. I'll never forget a fort. It had grown into a small community of about 700 people. Mm. And although mm. now that fort, which was in Kowloon, is now in British territory, it was actually allowed mm. to remain an enclave of China because the Britain British were just like, whatever, just keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's China. <laughs> keep I, your salt I don't fort. want this. <laughs> and so the, 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 the fort became known as the Kowloon Walled City. Mm. And in the region... It became this touristy, like, Chinatown-style attraction for people in the British colony. Okay. Because it actually was China, technically. Right. Okay. From 1927 to 1949, China was engulfed in a civil war between the Chinese Nationalist Government and the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. During this civil war, thousands of refugees fled 
China to British Hong Kong. And ultimately, about 2,000 refugees ended up squatting within the Kowloon Walled City uh, by 1947 as, like, that was the only safe place they could be because <laughs> they're running away from right. China and they're, like, going to Britain and they're just like, oh, I'm just going to yeah. dive right here into this, yeah. this safe, slum. Safe, home base. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts to... We actually uh, talked a little bit about that conflict, that civil war in episode 37 about the Tang Shan yeah. earthquake. True. Yeah. I remember. Check that one out. <laughs> so, like, the... Carry the on. walled city starts to build up as a shanty town to accommodate the mm-hmm. blowing up population. Sidebar on World War II. Yay! <laughs> Come to the right place. I like sidebars about World War II. Everyone. <laughs> so, so in 1937, in the midst of the Civil War, uh, both mm-hmm. sides that were fighting the Civil War actually temporarily formed an alliance to resist the right. Japanese invasion right. of China. Good it idea. didn't really work very well because the Japanese ultimately <laughs> occupied many of the major cities in mm. China, including Hong Kong. Yeah. And during this Japanese occupation of Hong Kong, they actually demolished the the wall around the Kowloon Walled City to build the uh, airport oh. for, for their uh, invasion. Right. Oh, right. But the, yeah. the city was still referred to as the Walled City because like, I'm not changing the way I call something ever. Mm-hmm. No, 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 exactly. And after the Japanese were defeated... Spoilers. After the Japanese defeat, both sides immediately resumed their civil war. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we're done. Back, to, back to fighting each other. <laughs> oh, the, they just, like, move their turrets yeah. against each other instead <laughs> of... In many ways, there's, there's some real, uh, like, 3D chess going on here, but... With, Far okay. too too detailed of story. Okay. Ultimately, the nationalists mm. having suffered far more casualties in World mm. War II oh. than the communists yeah. were easily yeah. defeated and ultimately had to retreat to Taiwan, where that political standstill is is today. Is that a three D chess you were talking? Oh, the three D chess was. Did they kind of let them deplete their numbers? There's and... a lot of stuff, yeah, but kind of like yeah, like right. they were fighting with each other while pretending to. Fight the the Japanese. It's the uh, kind of thing yeah, where yeah, yeah. you beat the final boss in the game, and you're like, "Yes, I did it!" And then his life bar <laughs> fills up again for round two. Like, oh, you <laughs> <laughs> curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's been playing right. Hades. <laughs> There's also some additional stuff like uh, Russia invaded Manchuria uh, as they declared war on Japan, invading Manchuria, kind of like as a communist power play to be like, hey, look how strong the communists are. And, you know, that kind of led to favoritism towards the communists anyway uh, in the Civil War and so on. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. there's actually a great series from Hardcore History that talks about uh, the war, the Second World War in the Pacific, and they talk about. Manchuria and, and communism Japan. and Japan and yeah exactly yeah back in Kowloon after the disruption of mm-hmm. World War II the walled city had become a geopolitical oddity as it was mm-hmm. technically under the jurisdiction of China but it was in mm-hmm. British territory and in China they're coming off a civil war yeah. there's this little enclave over here they don't want to bother with it so that they, they didn't bother to enforce any laws we've got bigger problems to worry about at home such a Fair small enough. little colony enclave who cares yeah and the, so the british were adopting a hands-off policy saying hey that's not our problem we're not touching this place mm-hmm. so this kowloon walled city was fairly tiny it mm-hmm. was 6.4 acres which is about the size of four football fields or one new york city block okay oh okay and if you haven't figured it out already having talked for however long we've been talking mm-hmm. for the kowloon walled city will eventually become the densest place on earth uh-huh whoa I didn't figure that out, actually. That's cool. <laughs> well, we keep mentioning this fort. Uh, 
<laughs> I got so wrapped <laughs> up. From I was just excited here. about the fort. <laughs> Post-Civil War, post-World War II, hmm. British Hong Kong hmm. began to flourish as a Western-friendly democratic metropolis within Asia. And right. everyone started to get really, really rich. Right. And as it became one of the most prosperous regions of the world, and it still is today, mm-hmm. as you expect, mm-hmm. even more immigrants want to leave China and come to mm-hmm. Hong Kong. Right. Many immigrants, yeah. both legal and illegal, ultimately mm-hmm. found their way to squatting in the walled city because there were no mm-hmm. laws enforced there. No laws. Oh. No laws, because British couldn't touch it and the Chinese didn't bother. <laughs> Huh. It's a weird flex. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. You can't tell us what yeah. to do, so we'll do whatever fuck we want. So the walled city ultimately became an attractive location for criminal activity, obviously. No way. Yeah, ruled by the triads, and the city became well known okay. as a location to go to for prostitution, gambling, and opium. All right, opium, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's still around. Good. Good. Oh, Good. that thanks. That Britain. hasn't gone away. Mm-hmm. Well. I hope you like your tea, (laughs) Britain. (laughs) You may have heard stories about extremely dense squatter settlements and them catching on fire in in history. Yeah, Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, they're very fire prone. So in 1950, a large fire destroyed most of the wooden huts inside the walled city. Oh, they're made of wood. They're self-made, but the population began to rebuild. But they decided to rebuild it in more of the style of a permanent city Mm. using concrete Mm. and bricks and just basically building regular permanent buildings just without any engineering oversight or regulation at all stone is the way to go as we learned in episode three about the great fire of london and episode 30 (laughs) the great chicago fire there's some debate that the fire was intentional in order to spur on a re-renovation of the city into towards a more modern uh permanent structure yeah it's it's a way to go yeah you can call that the fast track (laughs) yeah So by the 1960s, construction had accelerated into modular-style homes where people just started building rooms on top of other rooms Mm -hmm. and buildings interconnected Mm -hmm. to the buildings and stairways going between them, just Mm -hmm. building them as needed, you know. (laughs) Because there's no bylaws. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) regulation. And so these apartments would be built with rudimentary drains so mm-hmm. people could be used for water and toilets and stuff. And they even had electricity because they would just steal electricity from Hong Kong <laughs> and then DIY wire in their, their houses. <laughs> How far is this from Hong Kong? So it's like, in Kowloon, which is part of Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is Fair literally enough. in the middle of Kowloon, which is a populous region of Hong Kong. It is as if it's a yeah. neighborhood that is okay. separate from the rest of the city. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I pictured it further apart. Yeah, okay. it is right smack in the middle. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it funnier. So so year by year, these buildings grew into impressive high rises. And when you look at right. pictures taken from the era of Hong Kong looking at the outside of the Kowloon Wall City, you just it doesn't look like a slum. It just looks like a ton of really, really tall buildings. Just shoulder to shoulder. It's just a giant wall of buildings. So the walled city was now walled with (laughs) apartment buildings. (laughs) Nice. Second World War II Japan. (laughs) We're building our wall back. Uh, So the population in in this region time was about 33,000 people. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in 1963, the British decided to do something about this. And they wanted to evict a small portion of of the city and start cleaning it up. (sighs) The residents of the city formed this community group called the Kaifong Association to resist the eviction. Mm. 
Okay. The association actually went to the Chinese government and argued that the Kowloon Walled City is part of China and the British can't actually do anything. <laughs> so they're kind of calling China's bluff to enforce their laws. Right. And then China actually agreed and denied the British the ability to do anything with the Kowloon Walled City <laughs> in sort of like a backhanded way to finally stick it to the British. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, <laughs> the yeah. uppance has come. You know what? You got your tea. You fuck off. Yeah, you want to clean that shithole yeah. up? Nah, man, that's, that's my right. shithole. <laughs> you sit there, drink your tea. Yeah. And it's in like the it. middle of your prime real estate <laughs> jewel city. That's perfect. <laughs> Great. That's so good. And uh, this community association, the Kaifan Association, became kind of like a weird condo board for the walled city <laughs> in that they were the only authority for any property disputes and actually provided some rudimentary organization mm-hmm. in the city. And it, it kind of shows like even in, in a place that is anarchy, quote unquote, like there's no All laws. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some structure has to form in order for them to, act, you know, become a functional society. Yeah. It's huh. going to water yeah. finds its own level, right? So. Yeah. And notably yeah. in the 1970s, uh, the association actually negotiated with the Hong Kong government to install a primary sewage drain line, as you can probably be thinking about where all this sewage is going. A little poop problem. <laughs> yeah. Now that you bring it up. Yeah. I wasn't until now. And now I really want to know. <laughs> yeah, it, like, even though they, they built drains in the houses, they basically just drained into the streets and the streets just rolled down with sewage and it was Ooh. just dumped into the land under the city. So the city, like the Old city kind of just was sitting on this giant septic tank. <laughs> so the fact that they negotiated with the city to to drain it, that's probably uh something that was like, pretty good. What, what, what is this 14th century France? Am I right? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah Episode yeah, 13, yeah. 14, Black Death. <laughs> <laughs> so much shit. <laughs> it's also important to note that even though the city was essentially run by the triads. Many of the inhabitants were just normal people that weren't involved in crime. They just needed a place to stay and could not afford Hong Kong because remember we talked about how it's really expensive to live there. It was expensive back then, too. Yeah. As the population of the old city continued to grow and the buildings grew taller and taller and taller and taller, um, Mm -hmm. you would actually see that the, the alleyways between the buildings would be so narrow because they had to put so many buildings that they would only be a couple feet wide in, in the alleys between the buildings. <laughs> and, and like, like not between the buildings, but like that is the walkways. The, the, wow. What Jeez. do you call them? The streets are a few feet wide. Sidewalks? They even have sidewalks. And overhead, yeah. when you look up between the buildings, you just see yeah. pipes and wires and metal grates and dripping Dripping garbage. poop and, yeah. Huh. Sparking wires, probably. What yeah. little light would actually make it to the the the, the ground? Yeah, kind of looked like it. Really looked like a jungle. Like it was dark, mm-hmm. and you know, you get a little bit of light seeping <laughs> through the uh, <laughs> the leaves. It was yeah, it was really a jungle. And for anyone who wanted to risk actually walking through the alleyways, it was well known that yeah. you carry an umbrella oh. <laughs> to shield yourself oh. <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> from the. Uh, Let's just call them liquids mm. that would be dripping mm. all the time. Yeah. I guess that's the best <laughs> word. The only place you can actually get any sunlight would be on the rooftops of all the buildings, and that's actually the where the the prime real estate was. Uh, you could actually right. see the sun, but all the roofs had these makeshift TV antennas for every single person's house. Right. So the roofs right. were all a forest <laughs> of metal wire TV antennas forest on top of the jungle. So you're sunbathing. Yeah. And it's not palm trees, it's TV antennas. 
Good Lord. <laughs> conjuring, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I'm conjuring a lot of like cyberpunk imagery. Yeah, dystopian mm-hmm. would be the word. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> Uh, so this all these combined have led to the city's nickname the city of darkness Mm. oh that's that's a cool name almost cool as nine dragons (laughs) i don't know i'm 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 more of a new territories man myself you you love and kick enough nt (laughs) (laughs) the the buildings were built as high as 14 stories remember these were just build as needed sure Constructed buildings right. by hand by Slap whoever another story them. on. Yeah, yeah, it's like a Jenga <laughs> tower. Yeah. They actually had to stop at 14 stories. They would have gone higher, but the <laughs> airport is one kilometer away from, <laughs> from the walled city. And planes actually had right. to divert their landing route to avoid hitting the city. <laughs> but if they built them any higher, the planes would clip the the buildings and they would have collapsed right. so they figured <laughs> this is our limit that was the yeah, line that is amazing okay and there's a ton of wild pictures if you google kowloon walled city airplane where you see these airplanes skimming the top Jeez. of the roofs there so it's cool. it's nuts <laughs> no 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 crashes though surprisingly wow. i guess i mean everyone knew oh. it was there yeah <laughs> well, nice. yeah. So the city can't really be called a slum in the, in a way because when you picture a slum, you know you're thinking shanty towns, people in complete squalor, mm-hmm. just squatting in the streets, mm-hmm. just rotting yeah. away. But this was mm-hmm. like a real functioning society, right? It had permanent buildings, mm-hmm. electricity, bathrooms. Uh, it had tons mm-hmm. of shops. It had neon signs. It had businesses and factories all throughout mm-hmm. these buildings. It was cool. a anarchist society. <laughs> nice. There were. Doctors and dentists and schools and temples all buried somewhere in that mess. A lot of the professionals, like the doctors and dentists, actually came from China. uh, But because they couldn't obtain permits to practice legally in Hong Kong, which would be Britain Mm -hmm. at the time, they were forced to go to the walled city and operate unlicensed. So a lot of people from Hong Kong would actually go there for very cheap dental work. The obvious thing you'll find, though, is that there were also several charlatans and fake practitioners <laughs> that would exploit people yeah. for these these services as well. So there's no way to check if your doctor is a real doctor from China or right. some guy. That's part of the fun. There's no yeah. warranty there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Restaurants were the biggest business in mm. town, despite the minimal sanitation. Many residents of actual outside Hong Kong would go to the walled city just for its cheap eats. But also to access right. special illegal foods such as dog meat. Oh. You get to dry dog meat, but you also get to get a stomach bug. Thanks, Walled City. <laughs> yeah. Oh, win-win. Yeah, the restaurants also uh, would slaughter animals in front of you to confirm to you that they weren't serving you spoiled or dirty meat. <laughs> I'd rather take my chances. Uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a yeah, yeah no, okay. Good. I mean, this was like this is like the seventies and eighties. Come on, people didn't care about salmonella. Nah. <laughs> it was That's a better true. time back then. Yeah. Everyone was sick in the eighties. <laughs> and of course, as a remnant from colonialism, there were still opium and heroin dens all oh, over sure. the place because it was sure, illegal sure, sure, in British sure. oh, of course. Uh, Hong Kong, mm. and you could get hits as low as three cents. I guess that's cheap. I'm not up to times with my uh, so free basically. Hit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, uh, sex workers operated 24 hours a day in the city of mm-hmm. darkness. Oh, of course. A lot of businesses actually took advantage of the complete lack of regulations in the city and operated their factory sweatshops. 
within the walls God. of the city to get away from British laws. Uh, and it would just mm-hmm. fill the alleyways with fumes and noise. <laughs> like, this place is a nightmare. <laughs> As if it's not bad enough. Yeah. So just despite all this like kind of dirtiness, the residents of, of, of the Walled City, they were normal people. Mm. And they actually took personal mm. hygiene reasonably seriously. Yeah. They're, they're not just wearing like rundown, ratty clothes, although some people were. A lot of the people sure. that within the Walled City actually worked in Hong Kong. So they needed to maintain proper appearances. <laughs> so like right. when yeah. you when you see photos of most of the people from any of the, the this era, they're all wearing like clean, normal right. clothes. And like the world around them is this weird dripping mess. <laughs> but people like... Right. Put a lot of effort into getting water to wash their clothes and their hair and not stink because I guess you didn't want to know you're from the world. Normal for a good portion of the day. So they weren't necessarily dirt poor, right? Right. Like they were professionals and normal people. They're just dirt poor relative to the rest of Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So describing what the city looked like obviously isn't going to do it any justice. And if you're listening or watching, Google image search the Kowloon Walled City. Greg Gerard's photos are some of the mm-hmm. the best, most appealing photos in terms of interest uh, in the entire history of that that mm. city. Yeah, they're they're linked yeah. in the show notes. Hey, he's a Canadian too, oh, wow. so good for him. Hey, <laughs> you're welcome. World. Yeah. So uh, his book, just to plug it, is called The City of Darkness, um, and it's like a right. photojournalism book with stories and interviews. And like I, I read it like, to prepare for this. It's quite interesting. Wow. Nice well, stories. It really does look like this '80s cyberpunk dystopia. Like it reminds me mm-hmm. a lot of the slums from Final Fantasy VII, the video game. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Like yep, it's because yep. it's not like shanties. It's slums, yeah. like a cyber yeah. techno, yeah, techno thing going on there. It's it seems very yeah. like purposefully built, but also filled yeah. with garbage. Exactly. <laughs> it's a very capable. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so the Hong Kong government was generally reluctant to help at all with the city because they didn't want to encourage more people to move yeah, with the city right. or move into the city. Fair enough. But the population got so large, they actually got to like a critical mass of people where they couldn't just stand back and do anything. They actually needed to support them, the city for humanitarian reasons because they couldn't just have 30,000 people. <laughs> fall over dead <laughs> on their territories. Fair so enough. the government installed seven standpipes for, for water, for pumping water, just outside the exterior of the city so people could actually get access to fresh water. Prior to this, they were either drinking mm-hmm. from wells, which remember the septic tank mm-hmm. underneath there. Um, nah, not again. And there was one standpipe pump inside the city. So water Mobulous was day. a major commodity and like they would just fill up mm-hmm. jugs and carry them up to their houses and use them in their homes and right. water carriers became a very valuable service. Like they would just carry jugs, mm-hmm. fill up bigger reservoirs for, you know, whatever restaurants or things needed, needed water. <laughs> yeah. They made yeah. work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As we, we saw in some of those pictures though, garbage was an issue because they couldn't do anything about the garbage collection. So yeah. most of the people just threw their garbage out the window, left it on right. the roof, threw it into the alleyways. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not really sustainable. Um, it's gross. A typical room for rent in this in the okay. city would be would be about mm-hmm. forty square feet, which is <laughs> the size of a king bed. Forty, ah, yeah. <laughs> so that would be your family renting a room that size, a footprint of a king bed, for uh-huh. about five dollars US a month. The price is right. I'm not sure like, the conditions. Are... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make... I mean, yeah. I guess I'd rent a yeah. bed for five dollars. <laughs> uh, a bed not included. It's a room the size sure. of a bed. <laughs> 
Oh, oh, you bring the bag for yeah, your family. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. So, so actually, another interesting historical documentation of this, though, is the 1988 film Bloodsport oh. with Jean Claude Van Damme. Because yeah. in the movie, okay. they go to the Kowloon Walled City to fight in their illegal fighting tournament, okay. and that film serves as one of the few video records of the city because they filmed in the city, and it's exactly those scenes that we see in those photos. Oh, really? And when, like you can watch Bloodsport in in HD now, and that is like yeah. the only footage that exists of oh. the real floor of the city. <laughs> That's incredible. Jean Claude Van Damme oh, walked through it. That's pretty cool. Like trying to look behind Jean Claude Van Damme. Thanks, JCVD. Get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you yeah. stop punching for a second? <laughs> I want to see the city. Yeah, it was. It's. I mean, I rewatched the entire movie just to to see this again, nice. and I'm like, yeah. In HD, it looks amazing. Sheesh. So the Walled City hit uh, its peak size by the early 1980s. At this Mm -hmm. point, the population was 50,000 people. Wow. So remember 50,000 people in that small area. New York City This is a density, drum roll. Yeah. A density of 1.9 million people per square kilometer. (laughs) Eight times denser than the Dharavi slums are today. Wow. (laughs) Right. Jeez. Jeez. It's the densest this place on earth and time for some fun analogies. <laughs> Ooh, I like fun so, analogies. Are there any Titanic <laughs> metaphors? No, I don't I don't really care for the Titanic. Titanic you know? yeah, so, so this density is like having the entire population of New York State living mm-hmm. in Manhattan. <laughs> And then you add in everyone in Florida, Texas, and California. <laughs> oh, as my well God. as all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> this density would be like mm-hmm. if our hometown of Ottawa yes. had a population yeah. of 5.3 billion. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Most yeah. of the earth. All right. <laughs> this density would be like picturing a big sports arena like the Bell Center or whatever in Montreal. Mm-hmm. That's the, the Bell Center is the world's largest hockey arena, seating 21,000 okay. people. Imagine if. Mm-hmm. Everyone lived in that arena permanently mm-hmm. and then added 9,000 more people. <laughs> oh my God. They live on the ice. <laughs> I do not want, I don't want to do no. that. <laughs> and my favorite analogy is picture yourself. Mm. All right. I don't mm-hmm. like it already. I'm me. Picture yep. yourself living in a 1,000 square foot apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And then having yeah. 12 roommates. Mm. And then every unit in your 14-story building is that much occupied. And then your entire block is made up of 14-story buildings just like that. <laughs> That's just literally what it was. I'm, I'm alone in this room and I'm starting to feel crowded. All this talk about density. Yeah, I feel like I need to stretch out in the field or something. Interesting, there's not a lot of records about um, disease spread. Like, I'm certain it was rampant and people just died and were never right. reported, right? Like, That's probably <laughs> what it was. As Hong Kong continued to modernize, the walled city became more and more of an embarrassment towards the British. So mm. starting in 1973, the police organized 3,500 raids uh, within the walled city, and they ultimately weakened the triad's control and helped clean up the city. And this was actually done kind of with the permission of China, because the, okay. the community association invited the police in. They wanted them to help clean up the city because it was right. you know, running rampant. Mm. So, like, around this time is when it actually became safer for locals or inquisitive foreigners to come in and take photographs of, of, of yeah. the city. Yeah, and that's kind of why all the photos you'll see are kind of past the 70s right. Right, when it started to right. clean things up. So, yeah. remember the 99-year lease yeah. for the new territory? Yes. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, that was set to expire in 1997. And as we know, mm-hmm. 1997 is, is in the past. Is. 
It is in the past. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And the 100 years that had passed since that was initially signed did not reflect mm. really well on British colonialism. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so Britain decided to not only transfer the new territories back to China, but give up all of Hong Kong to China and essentially end co- their right. colonialism of the region. Okay. So in 1994, the Chinese and British officialized the handover agreement that would take place Mm. in 97. Mm. Uh, Sorry, in 1984, the Chinese and British officialized the handover agreement that would take place in 97. And this included the groundwork for the demolition of the walled city as kind of like a way to clean up Hong Kong and like, we're we're sorry. (laughs) You don't need this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what, what the Hong Kong government did is they were planning to distribute 350 million U.S. dollars to the remaining residences, residents and businesses and resettle them in public housing. Mm, this right. is approximately like giving them about $14,000 today to, to move out. Okay. It's hard to gauge if that was a lot of money. Yeah, what were property values in Hong Kong? <laughs> Regardless, by 1992, the few remaining holdouts that didn't accept anything were encouraged to accept the relocation package. <laughs> like they just asked really nicely? Yeah, I assume they just said, pretty please, can you move out? Yeah. No, you really <laughs> Please. <laughs> and so demolition began on the walled city in 1993 and lasted through till 1994. Wow. And the site is now the Kowloon Walled City Park. And the courthouse building that was part of the original walled city fort and was actually never destroyed mm. is the only remaining building currently still in the park uh, <laughs> that's kind of amazing so it was just buried in the city this whole time i mean it was used yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it, was, it was a building like although the city was ultimately viewed as an embarrassment to to most people and a quirky mm. attraction the residents mm. and all the historical documentation of the residents and their stories viewed it very fondly and they didn't actually want to leave but right they did. Right. Well, you get used to anything and probably grow to love it in some cases. I mean, it's your home, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's, but yeah, it just kind of shows, you know, yeah. your home is your home, right? Those people in the Dharavi slums probably love where they live. In, in a I sense. Guess. And yeah, yeah. some probably do. Yeah. I mentioned, especially when you were showing us those pictures and when look, looking at those pictures, like you yeah. see kids people growing up in there and, and like just going about their If you're business. born, then you grow yeah. up there. Exactly. You don't know any better. Yeah. It's your home yeah. and you don't, People shockingly don't like change. Yeah. Plus, plus forts are really cool. So <laughs> can't knock yeah, a fort. <laughs> you know, opium, opium, heroin heads crawling around not probably so not great. so great. But, yeah. <laughs> not so much. Yeah. Well, that was that's kind of a disaster, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. if you look at those pictures <laughs> it, it, and the history it, behind it. Surely. Oh, that that too. Yeah, <laughs> obviously oh, that too. Yeah, yeah, just a yeah. little bit. Awesome. So you got you got some music to go with. Sure that, I do. Right? So so my band is Prune Deer. They are a Hong Kong instrumental cool. post-rock band. Cool. And the song is Stalling from their 2019 album Insufficient Postage. Wow. And it's oh. just a rad post-rock instrumental band. I'm intrigued. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I think we bonded over Mogwai way back when, so that's yeah, awesome. There you go. <laughs> Sweet. And you probably just heard a bunch of it just now. There you go. How about you, Lee? Uh, well, I had picked a song beforehand but i quickly changed my mind as the episode went on <laughs> mm-hmm. i think you'll f- see why yep. so the band i chose is called kowloon walt city yep <laughs> all right then 
Did you know that yep. they existed, Norm? Yep. yep. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, found out about this band a while ago, but I think the the association with the actual Kowloon Walled City ends with the name. They're a bunch of white uh, guys. Just, <laughs> yeah, a bunch of white guys from San Francisco <laughs> playing really sludgy, dirgy noise rock. Um, mm-hmm. But they're great. And uh, since it's on theme, I picked them. So the song I really like by them is from their 2008 EP Turk Street. And the song is called My Hands Are Turning to Bricks. Nice. Yeah. I, I was it's, actually going to pick Calumwa City as well, but I had a inkling that one of you guys would actually pick it. <laughs> so I decided to go nice. with the Hong Kong band. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we were covering all bases. Nice. Yeah. So I went a little bit more literal with the uh, 80s cyberpunk prompt that Norm gave us. Nice. Uh, and I went with a recent discovery of mine. It's an artist who calls himself Wave Shaper. Yeah. It's a dude from Sweden who, also speaking of cyberpunk, his real name is Tom Anderson. Thomas <laughs> <Mr>. Anderson. Anderson. <laughs> but yeah, so he's like a, he's a synth wave, uh, does kind of like retro futuristic synth wave. It's... Of all the synthwave I've listened to, it's the stuff that sounds like it's straight out of the 80s. Yeah, right. right. Um, the most, that is. So I went with uh, his album Station Nova from 2016. And the uh, the song is Vector Dream. It's kind of one of the lower beat ones, a little bit more atmospheric. And honestly, looking at those, again, looking at those pictures of the walled city and listening to that music, right there. Good soundtrack. So that's the music, and that was the Kowloon Walled City. Mm. Is that what we're calling it? Let's call it City of Darkness. City, city of, Darkness. of Darkness. And that was the City of Darkness, courtesy of Nuclear Norm. Thanks, Nuclear Norm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. To, I have it on authority that that's, that that's not the last time you'll be joining us this season, so I look forward to more. No, actually, that's that's the end of it. Okay, bye forever. Mm. I have it on authority that's <laughs> the end of it. It's basically All right, what you just said. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Yeah. If you enjoyed what you heard, the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell a friend to listen. And if you live in a super high density population area, that'll be really easy because you just have to like turn to the right and say, <laughs> hey, check this out. Check out and that'll this be your neighbor. I know I could hear it. I'm right <laughs> beside you. But I had my earbuds in. Doesn't, Doesn't matter. matter. Ears are touching. <laughs> <laughs> I have your earbuds uh, in. <laughs> the next best thing you can do is to subscribe if you haven't already and leave us a rating or review. That would be fantastic. If you want to follow us on social media at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. You can also become a patron on patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod. And for your patronage, you get access to bonus content every two weeks and some bigger bonus content every now and then and some even bigger bonus content at other occasions <laughs> couldn't be more vague but that's how it works something <laughs> sometime <laughs> will be maybe yeah. there yeah yeah exactly but the thing you can rely on is bonus micro disasters every two weeks also don't forget to join us on our discord you can find that on our website uh, a lot of people hang out there we talk about music and the episodes and just pretty much anything anything yeah. you want to talk about Video on games. our discord come join us and i think I think that's pretty much all I had to say this time. Unless, Lee, you got anything to add? No, I have nothing to add. I hope when this comes out, the pandemic is behind us. But <laughs> I know that it won't be. <laughs> so, it's a nice not thing. a chance. <laughs> no, not a chance. All right, well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in our next disaster. Bye. Bye. See you.